Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and this week's episode is a little bit different. My usual fellow commenter, Cameron Brooks, is attending a graduate school intensive. We may hear more about this in a future episode when he gets back. In the meantime, I'm going to talk to you about two things, the new sermon series that's about to start at Grace, and a conference in Washington, D.C. that I'll be speaking at towards the end of the month. For the last segment of this episode, Dan Reed is going to join me. Dan is the Director of Discipleship and Education at Grace. We'll be talking about how our summer activities have progressed and what to expect for the fall. The Gospel of Matthew includes five distinct discourses of Jesus, major sections devoted to his teaching on various themes. Since I began preaching through Matthew last year, we finally made it through the first and perhaps most famous of them all, the Sermon on the Mount, which takes place in chapters 5, 6, and 7, and then is followed up in chapter 8 and 9 with narrative. That means it's time to begin a new series. This one will be focused on the second discourse, which is often called the missionary discourse, because it consists of Jesus' instructions to the twelve apostles as he sends them out to bring in the great harvest that he mentioned at the end of chapter 9. Throughout chapter 10, Jesus will give us a series of directives about how to carry out the mission of proclaiming the kingdom. Now, some of these things will be specific to the apostles' circumstances and mission. But as we'll see, a lot of what Jesus has to say applies just as much to those who follow after the apostles as it does to the apostles themselves. He will prepare us for how to face opposition, how to confront our fears, and what to do about division. I'm calling this series the Apostolic Foundation, because not only does Jesus form the foundation of the church through this apostolic ministry, but the instruction he gives the apostles amounts to a foundational understanding of faithful proclamation in a turbulent world. In other words, it gives us a foundation for thinking about how to live faithfully in this world. The first sermon in the series, which I'll preach this Sunday, August 14th, will serve as a kind of foundation, too, for the series as a whole. As we look at the first four introductory verses in Matthew 10, which set up the whole discourse that follows, we're told that Jesus gives the apostles authority. And then Matthew gives us a list of the names of the twelve apostles. Now, we're going to take this introductory text and use it as an opportunity to see what the Bible tells us about the apostles and their authority how that authority relates to the church, and what it is exactly that makes a church apostolic. There are some people who argue that what makes a church apostolic is that its leaders form an unbroken chronological claim back to the original apostles, one generation laying hands on the next, laying hands on the next, and so on and so forth. 
There are others, though, who use the word apostolic because they believe that they can still ordain new apostles to the present day. We're going to try to figure out what this claim to being apostolic really means. If you've ever wondered about apostolic authority, this sermon will be a useful introduction to that idea. Now, we will be studying Matthew 10 from now until early October. The best preparation, as always, is to read through the chapter and familiarize yourself with it. You may discover you're already familiar with a lot of it, because there will be some very familiar sayings of Jesus in chapter 10. We'll hear Jesus talking about shaking the dust off your feet, about being wise as serpents and harmless as doves. He'll talk about being hated for his namesake, and not fearing those who have the power to kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He'll talk about losing your life to find it, and much more than that. As we've already seen, many of these well-known sayings take on a new significance once you encounter them in context. And that's what we're going to be trying to accomplish during this course on the Church's Apostolic Foundation. Join us Sunday as this new sermon series begins. I do have to warn you that the new sermon series on Matthew 10 is going to debut on one Sunday, and then the next sermon will be delayed for two weeks. Dan Reed is going to be preaching at Grace on August 21st, and that happens to be my birthday. And you might say that this is a bit of a gift to me, because the preceding week I'll be working with Worldview Academy, and even though I'll be back at Grace by Sunday, Dan has graciously agreed to deliver the word for us on that day. And then the following Sunday, which is August 28th, Reverend Carl Bruxford will be preaching and administering communion in my absence. It's that absence that I want to talk to you about. If you're a regular listener of the commentary, you know that I've been writing about Bible design and publishing for a long time. Cameron and I have devoted several episodes to this topic. One of the things I've advocated for over the years is that Bibles should be designed with readability in mind. Many people struggle with Bible reading, and it's not their fault. Bibles are often made to resemble the kind of book you look stuff up in, not the books you read. They're like dictionaries full of reference material that can threaten to overshadow the text itself. I'm happy to say that in the past decade, an extraordinary revival of sorts has broken out in Bible publishing. Some exciting things are happening, but most people still don't realize just how good things have gotten. That's the reason why I've been working with the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. on an exciting new endeavor, the Society of Bible Craftsmanship. This society will honor the achievements being made in Bible publishing and also help the general public discover and appreciate good Bible design. 
I'm serving on the Society's Steering Committee and also chairing its award committee. Now, the Society is being launched at the end of this month at the Museum of the Bible. It's an all-day event on August 27th called the Bible Craftsmanship Conference. There are going to be designed-focused tours of the museum's collection of Bibles, presentations from various speakers, and a panel introducing the Society of Bible Craftsmanship. I'll include a link to this event in the show notes. If you're not able to travel to Washington, D.C. for this, I understand, but you can buy tickets to attend virtually if you're interested. I will be one of the speakers at this conference. My presentation is titled, Curating the Future of Bible Design. I'm going to be talking about the ups and downs of modern Bible publishing, how we suddenly entered a new golden age, and why we should all be excited for the Museum of the Bible to showcase not just great editions of the past, but also what's happening today. Now, I realize not everyone is interested in typography and design. Maybe to you, one Bible looks pretty much the same as another. But even though the differences can sometimes be subtle, and they aren't always consciously registered, they do make their presence felt. If you're not convinced, though, attend the conference online and see what you think. In our final segment for this episode, I'm joined in the studio by Dan Reed, who is the Director of Discipleship and Education here at Grace. Dan is just back in town after vacation. He's looking tanned and rested, and it's a pleasure, Dan, to have you back on the commentary. Yeah, it's great to be here. So, Dan, I just want to talk about a couple of things in your role. You have oversight over quite a few different areas. Uh, We might say you're in charge of everything I don't like to do, uh, or maybe that I'm no good at, (laughs) or or whatever. But uh, one of those things has to do with uh, specifically youth discipleship. And over the summer, we've had a few interesting milestones for young people at Grace. And I just wanted to check in and see how some of that stuff, like Vacation Bible School and our summer camp, actually went. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a really fun summer. Uh, this We started out in June. We had VBS and we partnered with Living Hope again. And it was neat because uh, the group really grew this year. Uh, so we had a lot more kids. It was fun to have uh, folks from both Living Hope and Grace working together. Uh, and just the joy and the excitement as the kids, we went through the story of Joseph uh, this year, did a lot of singing, a lot of games and Uh, just having fun with the kids. It was a fantastic time this summer. Uh, And then kind of right on the heels of that, we had our our middle school, our 4th through 12th graders go out to Camp Judson uh, and do a week out at Camp Judson. 
they did that with the churches in the area, with Living Hope, with Ebenezer, uh, and then churches from all over the area. I know when I talked to the youth group, we had them out for a bonfire a few weeks ago. Uh, one of the things that they talked about is how neat it was to meet with other Christian kids uh, from Wyoming, from Colorado, and all over the area, uh, and just really enjoyed the teaching, the, the time in the Word, out at Camp Judson, in the Black Hills, uh, in nature, uh, singing and praising God together. Well, that's fantastic. I, one of the things I love about the partnership that you've really spearheaded between Grace and Living Hope is the way that we've been able to kind of combine some of our resources and do some programs together that actually allow our kids and their kids to get to know each other and have that sense of community. I know with youth group, that's been really a game changer. And so I guess Vacation Bible School had a similar kind of feeling to it. Yeah, yeah, it was really it's been really neat uh, just to be able to partner with a church that uh, is a sister church of ours. Uh, we, we hold to the same doctrines, we hold to the same values, uh, and yet we're very different from one another too, and feeling like each church is able to provide a different piece to the puzzle yeah. uh, and just have a dynamic partnership. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to feel kind of siloed. You know, if you mm -hmm. if you only ever know people at your church and you don't have that sense of the bigger world, which I guess is one of the reasons why that camp experience is such a great one, because it's not just other churches in the area, but but in the region, and and even not just uh, PCA churches, but we also had some OPC churches, Orthodox Presbyterian Church uh, representatives there as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, very different uh, perspectives, and yet we're all in this together, and it was it's been really neat. Now, one of the things that you did before camp was assist students at Grace who were going in some preparation, mm -hmm. right? There's some catechism questions and some scripture that they memorized. And what was it like working with them like that? Just kind of, I guess, quizzing even. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> did, did, yeah. Were they happy about that? <laughs> well, they didn't necessarily love it. I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. We, as a culture, have decided that memorizing things is one of the hardest things in the world. And honestly, it, it isn't. It, it's, you, you're learning something and you're uh, being quizzed on it. And it's the same every time. And it was one of those things that I had to go through the catechism for a class just prior and had to memorize a whole bunch of it. And then I turned around and asked the kids to memorize, I think, 15, 16 questions. So I wasn't very sympathetic with right. them. Yeah. I mean, if an old man like you can still memorize, then surely with their supple minds. Right, right. They're like sponges. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it was such a neat time to sit down and go through the catechism and not just ask them to memorize it, but ask them to explain it. What does this mean? And what is this saying about the Lord's Supper? What is this saying about baptism and, and prayer? Uh, it was just a really neat opportunity for me to kind of dig into the catechism with the kids. Yeah, I know we're probably swimming upstream a little bit in this, but you and I have talked before about just how we would really like to introduce more of a culture of memorization. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to know our theological inheritance, and the best way to do that is to use those catechisms and uh, commit them to memory. You know, even if if you do it at an age when you don't understand half of what you're memorizing in time, you will be grateful mm. that you have this. So I, I thank you, Dan, for 
for doing that. And it's something that I hope we will just continue to do. In fact, I'm really looking forward to next summer and, and going to camp again and VBS and, and other activities like that and how we'll build on the success of this past summer. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited because it was the people that were involved uh, were very excited about it. So if you have questions about VBS or camp, uh, talk to some of the kids about it because I think that they had a great experience and they're looking forward to it as well. As we're talking about catechism, uh, I'd also like to maybe just take this opportunity to plug my Sunday school class this year. We will be with the high school class, the 8th grade through 12th grade, we will be going through the shorter catechism together. And so we'll be able to continue some of that. And I'm very excited about that. Good. Well, I hope you have a better plan <laughs> than I have for the Westminster Confession, because in adult Sunday school, we've been going through the Westminster Confession for several years now. Mm -hmm. But uh, it'll be interesting to check in and see how, how far you get yeah. in the shorter catechism. But uh, another big thing that's been going on this summer with small groups is interesting. Uh, we did something new this summer, which was introducing the small group challenge. Mm -hmm. right, tell us a little bit about the idea behind the small group challenge. Yeah. So the missions team uh, got together and we're always looking for ways to uh, bring grace into the community. And how can we uh, be in our community um, for good or whatever? Um, but so the missions committee got together and they, they challenged the small groups and they said, why don't you guys come up with a plan and do some kind of service project for the community? And so throughout the summer, some groups have gone to the banquet and served at the banquet. Others have gone to uh, Bishop Dudley's and served meals there. I know there's another group going out to uh, Center of Hope next week to stuff envelopes and to help with some of the little projects around there. And it's just been this neat opportunity uh, for the church to get creative and to think, how can we serve our community? How can we have a presence here uh, in a service-minded way? I think one of the things I like about the way that this happened was we didn't come up with ideas and then hand them to small groups to implement, but each group was kind of encouraged to, you know, talk amongst yourselves, come up with some ideas, you know, here's some possibilities and, and, and really kind of make a decision as a group where you would like to serve. And of course, you know, people in church serve in so many different ways, yeah. uh, both inside the church and outside the church. But there's, there is something nice about having opportunities from time to time to serve together, you know, to do it side by side. And so I think this has been a great uh, experience of that. And in... Uh, the weeks ahead, we're looking forward to having some people who participated share a little bit in, in our services. But I just wanted to let our listeners know that uh, this has been going on. Some of you, of course, will have experienced it yourself. But mm -hmm. it's just another way that, that we're looking to fulfill our mission at Grace, uh, helping people find their gifts and share them with the world. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's been neat asking people to find things that are important to them uh, work with people that they know uh, and take ownership of that and then take people from the church with them. Uh, there's something very powerful about that. Um, and Dave always talks about how we're served through serving and it's um, this beautiful thing. Another thing that I've really benefited from this summer is uh, just hearing about other people and, and different things that they've done, 
helping out neighbors, uh, making meal, meals for people and bringing them over to strangers. And uh, it's been really neat to see all the service that's being done at Grace. Uh, we just don't always highlight that. We don't always see that. Uh, this was a neat opportunity to kind of bring that to light a little. Yeah, there's that that quote of G.K. Chesterton's that we go back to again and again, that uh, our goal is to let good things run wild. Mm. And one of the things that I think we've seen over the past few months is just the way that, that with a little bit of encouragement, it just seems like there's there's all sorts of stuff that, that's happening. And, and I'm always hearing about things after the fact and, mm-hmm. you know, cool stuff that's being organized. And, and it's like, it's it's wonderful, you know, to to see this organically taking place because that's that's what real community is like. So that's exciting. Now, you already plugged your Sunday school class, mm-hmm. but I think we should probably just touch on maybe a little bit of what's coming up ahead. In September, we are going to commence uh, Sunday school again, mm-hmm. and that's always an exciting time. So uh, kids will be promoting from one grade to another. I know in, in high school, you've got a few who are coming up into the ranks. Yeah. Yeah. That's we're exciting. Ex- we're very excited to yep, grow our group. Do, do they know about the catechism? I, I believe they do. Okay, yes. Okay. Yes. We've talked about Good. it now. Yeah. Hopefully Good. they remember. All right. Okay. I just didn't want them to be excited to promote and then suddenly get hit with <laughs> catechism, but that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, Adult Sunday School, we're looking forward to resuming that as well. We're going to be picking up with the Westminster Confession, Chapter 18, I believe. So we have made progress. We're Excellent. just not not all the way there. Um, I'd say, you know, for those who are listening, if you haven't attended Sunday School before, or maybe haven't in a while, this is always a good time to reconnect with those Sunday School classes and I, I will give a special encouragement to parents with Sunday school age kids. Mm. It is such a great impact on the life of young people to experience these classes and to do it together. Mm. There's a sense of community amongst the youth, the young people at mm. Grace as a result of these experiences. And of course, the thing is they can't be part of it unless you make the effort to get them there, you know, and, and oftentimes that involves some encouragement, right? Mm-hmm. Because no, no child or teenager, no matter how well-intentioned they are, can motivate themselves early on a Sunday morning to get up and get ready. So mm-hmm. it does take some parental guidance, mm-hmm. but it is worth the effort to see them grow in grace in this way. And once you've made that effort, you're welcome to come to adult Sunday school, have some coffee and, and relax for a little bit before the service. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll take this opportunity to say that uh, as a teacher in Sunday school, but even more so as a parent of children that have experienced Sunday school, it is an enormous blessing to our family. We have a team of teachers that are very passionate that put the time in, uh, that do a fantastic job teaching God's Word to children. Uh, And my kids have really benefited from that. And the singing of the songs and having some of those opportunities, it's well worth the extra effort in the morning. Yeah, one last thing before we go, and that has to do with small groups. Mm. We were talking about small group challenge over the summer. But of course, as fall comes, our small groups are are looking to, to... 
really, you know, hit it hard. And also, this is a great time for people to join a group if you haven't done that already. Uh, I think, you know, this is the back to school moment is always a good one to revisit your schedule and see what works for you. But we have groups that meet on Sundays, groups that meet on Wednesdays. You can make something work for your schedule. And it is really, really important to the life of the community to have this time together outside of worship, but with people who are committed as you are to your faith. So if you haven't joined a small group before, or maybe you've joined, but you just haven't been great about being able to be there, I would say over the next couple of weeks, just be thinking about what it would look like to make that move and experience that. I feel like I have a lot of conversations with people about how great their small group experience has been, how much closer they feel to people. But I'll occasionally have conversations with people who are telling me kind of how they don't feel like they can make small group work. Or they're too busy or, or whatever it is, or they have an idea about what small group is like that doesn't seem to fit them, you know, or whatever that is. And oftentimes that's accompanied by a sense of, of uh, lack of community, mm. like difficulty connecting with people, that sort of thing. Well, mm -hmm. those things go together. Mm -hmm. If you want to connect with people, if you want to have that sense of community, then then this is a really good commitment to make. So mm -hmm. if you're listening to this and you're interested in doing that, Dan is the guy to talk to. Mm -hmm. He can help you connect with a small group. He can show you the small group leaders, the different places where they meet and, and just get you everything you need so that you can feel comfortable onboarding with the small group of your choice. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. I always love to get texts or emails or even through the church website, uh, shoots in my way. I always love to get people plugged into small groups. Uh, so now would be a great time. We're kind of coming out of a summer where we've met uh, somewhat sporadically and so we're hoping to get back on schedule have a good schedule uh, this would be an excellent time for anyone to join great well thank you dan for joining us and thank you everyone for listening Thanks for listening to The Commentary. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to The Commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.